Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. Today, we have part two in our four-part series as we lead up to our final World Cup roster prediction this Friday. After speaking about the goalkeeper and defensive player pools yesterday, today we're going to look at our midfield player pool. And as with yesterday, not only will we look at our current options that Greg and his staff will choose from, we will also eliminate a few midfielders from the pool as well. In addition, I will answer some questions regarding our midfielders too. As a reminder, these first three episodes in the series are much shorter in length than our usual episodes, as I felt it was easier to break each group up into their own episodes so that we could put more focus into the roles that will be played. The midfield player pool and selections will also be a bit smaller than our defensive group, but there are still a lot of intriguing options to consider. Now, when looking at the group that I'm about to speak about, we do have certain players who could also be grouped into the attacking player pool that I'll be discussing tomorrow. But based on how Greg used them most recently and or what their natural positions are, I am placing them amongst the midfielders today. So let's get right into it. And since I began doing this in April, I've had five individuals consistently in this midfield player pool. Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Eunice Musa are the three favorites to start at the World Cup. And I'm not sure that I see that changing right now. Luca De La Torre and Kellen Acosta have provided some solid depth over the past few months as well. But each of the three main positions that we have in our midfield provide a different role to the team. Yes, some can be interchangeable, but for the most part, Greg deploys a defensive-minded midfielder, a more two-way base midfielder, and a more attacking-minded midfield playmaker. Looking at the defensive midfielders in our player pool, or your traditional number six in the lineup, Tyler Adams is the clear leader. I mentioned yesterday, if it were up to me, he would be wearing the captain's armband in November at the World Cup. He brings a different level of understanding that allows others to move forward and get into the attack while he can cover space behind them. He did look a little sloppy during September, but if you look at his form with leads, it's pretty outstanding how far he's come. And behind him, there's Kellen Acosta, who hasn't always been the most popular choice amongst U.S. soccer fans. But Acosta provides great depth, an unlimited work rate, and is someone who understands what his role is. He knows his limitations, and I'm okay with that. He makes it tough for opponents to beat him, and I think he was someone who absolutely makes it on the plane to Qatar. We saw Johnny Cardoso called into September camp at the last minute as an injury replacement. He is someone I previously mentioned was a different style of player than the U.S. has given his upbringing in Brazil, where he currently plays his club ball. He didn't exactly rise to the occasion in his limited minutes during the most recent friendlies, but I still like the element he brings. I'm just not sure it fits what Greg truly wants. And just as yesterday, I can put James Sands here too. He has definitely gotten better in the past year at Rangers and has that versatility, but he is more of a traditional enforcer type of player than Greg likes to deploy. Looking at more of the two-way base midfielders in this group or your number eight in the lineup, you could easily slot Yunus Musa into this role. He has really become one of the most sought-after products or prospects in Europe, and a great showing at the World Cup will only increase his value if he seeks a move away from Valencia next summer. Now behind him, we've seen Luca De La Torre come on strong over the past year. He has his moments of brilliance, and then he has his moments where you can see more development and time is needed, but he brings a lot of creativity and more speed than you expect, and he can take over matches when needed. I think you could also slot this next person into the role if necessary, 
but I have him slotted in as our more attack-minded midfielder or your number 10 role in the lineup card. And that's Weston McKinney. He looked sloppy during September. He seemed to be going through the motions, and it had some U.S. soccer fans questioning if he is a clear-cut starter right now. I believe he is no matter what. The World Cup will be a stage for him that he usually thrives in, but his form is something to watch over the next few weeks because he just hasn't been the same since his injury and was actually subbed out yesterday during Juventus' Champions League match at halftime, which is never a good sign. Behind him, I'm putting Brennan Aronson into the 10 role rather than as a winger in the attacking playing pool. It's his natural position, even though he is versatile enough to contribute wherever he's asked to. And while Aronson is playing some great soccer with Leeds, I think he is best suited to be a super sub at the World Cup. Coming on against tired legs, he can provide that spark that very few in our player pool can. Malik Tillman is another name that gets slotted into the 10 role as well, despite his ability to play in a more advanced role. We haven't seen much of Tillman within the U.S., but his play with Rangers and the potential that he has to be able to create chances makes him an intriguing option for this squad. Jordi Mihaljevic is another attack-minded midfielder who just hasn't been able to catch a break within the U.S. team, whether it's been an injury like in the summer or just being the product of being too low on the depth chart. He has had a fantastic MLS season, but he still finds himself on the roster bubble. Sebastian Legit was a favorite of Greg's for a long time, but he can be safely removed from the player pool at this point. Gianluca Buggio, another midfielder who was around the squad for the past year or two, but never could capitalize on his chances, and he honestly won't be a part of the final roster selections either. Another favorite of Greg's is Christian Roldan. You all know how I feel about him. I just can't see a scenario that he is in consideration for a final roster spot. But then again, We are talking about Greg here. Julian Green is the last U.S. player to score at a World Cup, but he's fallen off of the radar for Greg despite playing well in the German second division. So, there will be 26 players on our roster for the World Cup. Three will go to goalkeepers. I think nine will go to defenders. Overall, I just named 14 players, and I eliminated four of them, which leaves us with 10 players in the midfield for what I guess will be seven to eight spots on the roster. This is where cuts will get very interesting. It also depends on how Greg views someone like Aronson, who has primarily been grouped in the attacking pool as a winger, but then gets deployed as an attacking center mid. So the good news is that this is probably the strongest player pool within the squad, and we have solid starters with solid depth. Moving into the questions for this player pool. This one came to me after the September camp finished up, and I've been sitting on it for a while, but I was asked, If Gio Reyna is healthy for a World Cup, would you start him at center attacking midfield over McKinney? First off, a healthy Gio Reyna is all we hope for come late November. He can truly be a special player when he is. But as we have seen all too often recently, it's tough to plan as if he will be. With Dortmund, Reyna typically lines up as a winger in the attack, and I think this is where Greg views his contributions with the national team. He could absolutely play a more advanced 10 role for the U.S., or he can also play as a false nine and come back a bit more to allow the other attackers to move forward. But as I say that, you have to remember, that hasn't been part of Greg's wonderful system. So I don't see it happening. But I will say this. If Reyna is fully fit, he's starting. Where and over who? That's to be determined. Second question for this group. We saw how irreplaceable Yunus Musa was during his absence in September. 
Is he more important than anyone else in the team right now? This is a pretty heavy question. Do I think one player is more important than anyone else in the squad? I could never say that. Was it pretty clear and obvious that we were missing him in the squad? Absolutely. Musa most certainly is one of the most important players in our entire player pool. He has become a quiet leader within the team. We have very rarely, if at all, ever had our top 11 players healthy and playing together at the same time. When Musa is in the midfield alongside McKinney and Adams, they have worked brilliantly together. He is super intelligent and understands the game very well. I am a big fan of Musa, and I think he has a breakout World Cup, but I can't sit here and tell you that he's more important than anyone else in the squad. Next up, whatever happened to Michael Bradley? Age. Bradley had one of the most prolific U.S. national team careers in its history. Over 150 appearances made, but his last appearance came in 2019, and he hasn't been a part of Greg's plan since. After the disaster of missing out on the 2018 World Cup qualification, it became clear we needed to allow the newer players time to gain experience and be comfortable in the roles they are now in. Bradley was never going to play a part in the 2022 World Cup, so it just didn't make sense to string him along and keep including him. So, nothing more or less to this than just his national team career ending. He still plays for Toronto FC, but given the influence he had as a captain for the U.S. and the career he has had, if he decides to follow in his father's footsteps, he could one day be managing this squad in the future. Lastly, this question was similar to the one from yesterday with the formation. Why doesn't Greg play to his strengths and play with four midfielders instead of three? I don't think this is a play to any of our strengths, which is why I think Greg utilizes the three-man midfield. If you have watched any matches featuring Anthony Robinson and Serginho Des, they like to get into the attack and oftentimes push so high up that it gives us an extra midfielder per se. We don't have a natural left midfielder or right midfielder in a traditional 4-4-2 type of formation. I don't even know if I could put together a midfield four that would even make sense because then you would have to take Musa or McKinney out of the middle where they are much better at playing. Plus, you take out one of our attacking options up front by doing this. So I won't hypothesize this one. And for once, I actually agree with Greg on something. All right. Well, that's it for the second part of our four-part series this week. Tomorrow, we will cover our attacking player pool and answer more questions that have come in for that group. While I mentioned the first three parts in the series will be shorter, again, I just want to remind everyone that we will have a full episode on Friday with the entire World Cup 26-man roster prediction, plus some takes from the U.S. women against England and Spain matches that took place last Friday and Tuesday, and I will give a brief MLS playoff preview as well. Please continue to share with others and follow me on Instagram and Twitter if you, are not, if you have not already done so. I also... I just want to say one more thing from yesterday. I really appreciated the support regarding the 20-year anniversary of the death of my good friend, Greg Griffin. He was one of the most promising U.S. youth national team players and someone who has influenced a lot of my life. So thank you to everyone who reached out and reposted and commented back. It doesn't go unnoticed. Until next time, cheers, my friends.